Welcome to A Lawyer's Guide to the Galaxy, a podcast about geek culture by lawyers with your hosts, Ben Siders and Kurt Damon. And welcome back to Lawyer's Guide to the Galaxy, the podcast that asks interesting questions that don't have any answers with your host, Ben Siders. That's me. And the other guy is, as always, Kirk Damon. That's Kirk as the captain of the Enterprise. We are here to talk about, I already forgot our, our reading thing. We're going to talk about our Kenobi predictions. For once, we both actually finished a show <laughs> shortly after it was done on the air. Uh, well, Kirk, I think I finished it last week. Kirk finished it Monday? Monday, yep. And today is Wednesday when we're recording this. So uh, we are ready to talk about our predictions and... I think this may be the most accurate we've ever gotten. In ter- not in terms of like whether we were right or not, but just the sort of scale of things we thought might happen. <laughs> it's interesting as to you know, sort of what it is, because it's also one of those that, in some sense, I think we were probably the least sure of any of these, because we really had no idea where the show was going to go. <laughs> yeah, well, we, we've, been, we've been faked out one too many times by Disney Star Wars trailers, and so we were extremely mistrustful <laughs> of everything we saw, and it turned out for a good reason. <laughs> yeah. So we'll, uh, we'll dive into these. Uh, and you may recall that I had written up a list of, I think, 10 or 11 of these to which Kirk added additional questions, half points, and all kinds of other <laughs> insanity. So we're going to go over that here. So question number one is actually question number 0.5. Kenobi's last words to Darth Maul and Rebels will be explained. I don't remember what they were because I haven't seen yeah. it yet. So Kirk, give us it, some background on that. It has to do with the idea about the prophecy being fulfilled. Again, it was a little while since I saw this. Um, and and basically Darth Maul saying, you know, hey, we will, you know, he will have our revenge and stuff like that. I think the answer to this question is clearly no. Um, this you know, the, the Kenobi episodes, and again, we should point out there's a ton of spoilers in this if you haven't seen Kenobi. Yes. And if you haven't, go watch it. It's really, really good. Yes. Um, but the, the We'll basic, do general thoughts at the end. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But the basics of, I think, what we had here is there was really no reference at all to the Rebels stuff. Yeah, not um, really. We thought we were going to go there, and they really didn't. Yeah, we thought they were going to go there, and they just didn't. So I think the answer to that is definitely no, and I think okay. we both said there might be. But I'm not sure how to grade this one. So here's what we said. This was one of mine. Uh, there's a line spoken by Vader in A New Hope that says, The last time we met, I was but the learner, now I am the master. Which implies some final meeting in which Vader was still Kenobi's inferior. Yeah. And I think we had all thought after episode three that the final confrontation on Mustafar was it. And you and I talked about, will they have an actual confrontation between Vader and Kenobi? Which they which, clearly did. Which they did. <laughs> three. And, here's, <laughs> and here's, what I, here's what I said. Vader and Kenobi have the reference final meeting during, the, during this series, probably as the finale. That was pretty much dead on. That was it. So we both got a point. We all said yes. We both got a point for that one. Yeah, and I do think it definitely does explain the year at the learner. I was the master. I mean, we have a whole lot of references about the apprentice in that. You know, the references to Izzy Anakin, Izzy Vader. You know, yeah, that that's exactly what they were explaining. Yes. So we we got that one right. I actually thought that was a bit of a stretch, maybe too specific, but no, we nailed it. Okay, number two, true or false? The Tatooine heavy trailer footage is a head fake. The action takes place in a compressed time frame, but most of the series is set elsewhere. It's hard to know. It, it, Tatooine is a major you know, component of it. It's a part of it, but yeah. I'd say, other than the first and last episodes, not much takes place on Tatooine. Yeah, in many respects, the key to it was to get him off Tatooine. He, they knew, yeah. and, and they're both new located. I mean, we see Alderaan for the first time, obviously, and then we see sort of this new planet that was introduced. I think we have to say that it is a bit of a head fake. It really was not Tatooine heavy. Yeah. I guess the thought being Tatooine heavy is that it was going to be Luke heavy, which also is clearly not Yeah, not the case. So So I said yes, you said no. So this may be the first time in the history of this thing that I'm ahead of you. (laughs) (laughs) You beat me on one of these. 
Uh, okay, number three, cameo watch. We get at least one of the following when he was young cameos of an Imperial character, Krennic, Tarkin, Ozzel, Gideon, or Boba Fett. And if either one of us got our pick right, we got a bonus point. We were completely wrong. <laughs> wrong. Nothing, was there. <laughs> Nothing was there. So that was a that was a big swing in a bit. Okay, and then Kirk added cameo watch 3.5. We get a critical character from Rebels. Ezra, Cannon, Gideon, Maul, or Thrawn. Again, nope. nothing. Nothing. Total big miss. Nothing. Big, swing and a miss there, too. Okay, number four. We see Vader without his helmet. Otherwise, why cast Christensen? Clearly, yes. <laughs> yes, we clearly times. saw him. Yeah. I mean, we saw him both as Anakin, and we see Vader as Anakin. Yeah, yeah. so we're gonna, we'll talk about that, because that's one of the, the best parts of this whole thing. Uh, number five. Kenobi visits or communicates with Yoga Undagaba to discuss Luke. I think nope. I said yes to this, but didn't we I? Both, we both no. said yes, and the answer was no. No, so. yeah, and that that did kind of surprise me. I did truly expect Yoda to appear in this at some point in time. Even as I was watching it, I still expected Yoda I to appear I did, too. I kept it. waiting for it. And the longer there, there was no Yoda, the more convinced I was that there was going to be a Qui-Gon. <laughs> so we'll get to that, too. Okay, this is where it starts to get squishy, because I'm not sure how to interpret some of these, because these are your editions. Okay, 5.3. This is where the numbering got screwed up. Uh, Kenobi's later defeat at Vader's hands is foreshadowed. So this is the one I had from this is... We see Obi-Wan, when he faces Vader in A New Hope, basically gives up. Yeah, does that's not, another one you've got here. Yeah, he does not He does not fight, you know, as to what it is. Do we have the idea that, and, and again, this, is, this also ties into a later question, did Obi-Wan know Vader would defeat him? Yeah. Um, and, and that's part of, essentially the way I had it was, does he leave Tatooine knowing how this ends? Yeah. It's essential for the Luke Because we know Jedi this. have some ability, some limited ability to yeah. kind of see future possibilities. Yeah. And the way I saw this potentially happening it was in conjunction with the Qui-Gon, you know, with a Qui-Gon, with a Force Ghost, with some kind of a prediction of the future. I actually thought when I saw the thing right at the very end when he has the flashbacks to Leia, I actually thought he had seen Leia in Return of the Jedi. I went back and slow mode through that entire section. He does not. Okay. He sees a young Leia who happens to look disturbingly like the one in, mm-hmm. um, in Return of the Jedi, but he does not. So I think the answer to this question is no. We are not okay. foreshadowed any of the events of of, of New Hope, um, you know, from this, which again, I expected him to have some foreshadowing of the events of New Hope, and I think the answer right. is no. We'll do one third points for these because they're also points. So we, get, <laughs> we both said no, so we were both uh, right about that. So I'm going to give me three and a third, and now you're up to two and a third. <laughs> okay. Uh, 5.4. We learn that Kenobi's death is critical to defeating Vader, the Emperor, or the Sith. Yep. In other words, we learn why he raises his blade and allows himself to be struck down once a Jedi has never done that we've yep. seen. That we've seen. We know, it's the first time we've ever seen a Jedi allow himself to be killed on purpose. Um, you know, so what we have with this, again, no. Yep. I think we did get a little bit of an explanation as to why, but I can't say that we okay. know why he does it. Um, he doesn't. He's not told why he does it. We just have a little bit more of his motivation. So I said no. You said yes. So I pulled ahead by another third yep. of a point. Okay. Uh, then five point five. Uh, Kenobi, possibly with Yoda and other Jedi, reinterpret the prophecy to make it about Luke, or to otherwise better understand Anakin or Vader. Yeah, and the idea behind this is that you have the issue of the you know, um, and this was again from Rebels, the idea of you know that he sort of indicates a hey, Luke maybe the one to fulfill the prophecy, not Anakin. Is there going to be any kind of touch in this? Are we going to touch on this idea of the prophecy yeah. and Anakin being the one that's prophesized about? While in some sense I think they touched on it, they clearly did not reinterpret it or make Didn't any other seem like with it. it. Yeah. It was, it was no. more just about backfilling the yeah. Kenobi Vader story. I have to say no. <laughs> yeah, so I said no on that one, so I'm up to four points. You're still at two and a third. So I'm ahead by one and two thirds points. This is turning into whose line is it anyway with the points. 
Okay, uh, number six, cynical marketing foo. We get a Grogu origin story, and it involves Yoda or another direct tie into the Mandalorian. Nope. No. We were right about that. We both said no. They weren't going to do that. Maybe we're I have getting... to wonder how much that is because Ewan McGregor was the executive producer. Yeah, yeah. He kept he kept the, the camera pretty tightly focused. Number seven, we get at least one of the following Alliance slash light side cameos. Mon Mothma, Admiral Akbar, General Maydeen, or Bail Organa. Bail Organa, obviously. He was in there, but we, but we both said no. So yeah. we both got that one wrong. I really didn't think they were going to dig Jimmy Smiths up and throw him in front of the camera. Um, okay, number eight, uh, we get an origin story for the old Ben moniker. Not really an origin sort of. story. Like, we see him using it, but we don't know why he picked that name. Yeah, before. we don't know why he picked Ben, but we obviously get why he's not using Obi-Wan. Yeah. I think that's the key with it. And so I think we answered it as we have to say yes. I think we also get why Luke knows him as old Ben. Yeah. Um, and so my take of that is, is we do now understand why he has two names. I think that's the answer to it. Yeah. The spirit of the question, yeah. And we both said yes. We both get a point there. Okay, number nine. More cynical marketing food. There's an Ahsoka Thrawn tie-in and or they tease a new series involving a live-action Ezra Bridger. I didn't actually st- stick around to watch the post-credit sequence. I assume there wasn't one. There wasn't one. We actually watched to see if there was one, and there was not one. Right. At least that it showed. We were kind of stunned. We went back and watched the credits again. Um, I was actually stunned we didn't see an Ahsoka one, quite frankly. Yeah. I was fully We both said yes on Ahsoka, no to Ezra. So we were um, wrong on the first one, right yep. on the second one. So I give us each a half a point there. <laughs> Yeah, that seems like a... Okay, now i got to add a third to a half. I'm just going to... Four and a third plus point five. Okay. Uh, number ten. Uh, resurrecting the past, we get a first ghost or other cameo of one of the following dead characters. Qui-Gon Jinn, Shmi Skywalker, Padme Amidala, or Mace Windu. We obviously got Qui-Gon Qui-Gon Jinn. at the very, very end. Uh, we both said no, so we both yeah. whiffed on that one, too. Although we, you know, we kind of knew... We knew what direction they were going to go in with this. When he was praying to Qui-Gon early on, I'm like, well, obviously they're going to have to I have Qui-Gon a feeling we were going to get that at the end, yeah. Okay, number 11. We learn why Obi-Wan initially tells Luke that Vader killed his father instead of the truth. I think we did. I think we did. And think, the reason yeah. I'm going to say this, and, and I talk about it, is I, immediately after watching the last episode of Kenobi, I went and watched the initial interaction between you know Obi-Wan Kenobi and Luke from A New Hope. And I have to give some credit to Alec Guinness. It looks like he had seen Kenobi when you watch it. Does. Him do like this. He, he it does. Like he hesitates amazing. a moment in four, and it kind of it kind of works. And the way he says it, and it, I, I have to assume this was script, good script writing and good acting on behalf of the people in Kenobi. It really looks like he's saying he's he's parroting back the the phrase of you know you didn't kill Anakin I did yeah um, phrase back is exactly what he's parroting back and I'm like I think that's why he tells it to him is because he says no your father is truly dead in some sense his what I said was true from certain point points of view, of view yeah. in Return of the Jedi is less accurate than what he says. Well, in, from Anakin's in, point of view, I guess. You know. so. <laughs> so, okay, so I, uh, we all said yes. I'm at 7.5. I just did the math. You're at 5 and 5 sixths. <laughs> so basically I can't win. But. Okay. Well, hang on. There's plenty left here. So uh, number 12. The Empire will be indicated to have or be researching cloning technology to tie into the Bad Batch. Yep, nope. <laughs> Not, <there>. Not at all. <laughs> So that didn't happen. I said yes, yeah, so I'm wrong. You said no, you're right. So you're up to six, six and five sixths, <laughs> and I'm at seven and a half. This is insane. Okay. <laughs> okay, number 13. We learn why Luke is steered to be a Jedi, but not Leia. We learn why Leo Luke is not steered to be a Jedi. Yeah. <laughs> I think we definitely get the separation between Luke and Leia and the association with Luke and Leia a little bit. I think the answer to this question has to be no, mm-hmm. because what we thought where they were going to go with this and the idea behind it is not where they went at all. 
No. And so I think we have to say no um, as to what it is. We do get a nice indication of why Obi-Wan is, is less watchful of Luke at this yep. stage. So I'm at eight. We both said no. So I'm at eight and a half. You're at seven and five, six. Um, okay, number, we skipped 14. Number 15, a new Jedi character is introduced. So this is debatable. Yes. <laughs> I have to say yes. Is Reva a Jedi? Reva is a Jedi. Right? She's a youngling. Yeah. So she is a Jedi apprentice at the point in time we originally need her. They have clearly indicated the fact that she's still Force-sensitive. She yep. is an Inquisitor. Yes, she's an Inquisitor. She's a Sith. But she also arguably turns from the dark side, based on what Ben says, yep. making her a Jedi. Yeah. That's I, my take. I think you can make that argument. This one's important because I said no and you said yes. So if she's a Jedi, then you win <laughs> by by um, by a, a third of a point. <laughs> I, I really think we have to call her a Jedi. I understand the concern sort of with it, but my take, it's... If it wasn't for Ben's interaction with her at the end, I don't think she is. I think yeah. she's just a youngling. At that point, she's an Inquisitor. She's converted as to whatever it is. But the idea of the redemption arc of her, you know, where he says the, am I going to become him? You yeah. know, and the phrase of the, you're, now the decision is yours. Like we'd really, say Anakin was clearly a Jedi, right? Even though yeah. he was still a Padawan. Yeah, he was still a Padawan and stuff like that. I kind of look at it and say, at that point in time, I think we've said she's on the path to be a yeah. Jedi, which makes her a Padawan. Would you consider the Sith to be basically a Jedi, like dark Jedi? Yeah, I know? mean, they are, but they aren't. I think Jedi yeah. means non-Sith. I think, yeah. you know, it's Force user is Jedi or Sith. Okay. It's it's an important question because I think that the hard part with it is, is we will answer that question if she gets her own show. Yep. Which I really hope they do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll get to that. Okay, so, um, so that leaves me at 8.5 and Kirk at 8 and 5 sixths. <laughs> Okay, so here's what we're going to do. Uh, we're going to throw it to the audience. I'm going to put a poll on Twitter after we release this, and we'll leave it open for a week. We don't usually get a ton of Twitter engagement, but if you happen to listen to us, or listen to us, happen to read us on Twitter, go vote on our Twitter poll as to whether or not we should count Reva as a Jedi. <laughs> and then you, you, the listener, will decide who won this one. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a legitimate question. She is exactly supposed to be ambiguous. Yeah, um. yeah. Okay, and then we had our tiebreaker. Uh, who says I got a bad feeling about this? I don't think anybody did. Nobody did. Yeah. <laughs> I had. I was so hoping it was going to be Reva because then I would have been right that it was a dark side character. I said it would be another uh, legacy character, Owen, and you said that it would be... It would be an Inquisitor. An Inquisitor, and nobody said it. <laughs> I, I was so expecting Reva to say it after they sort of started with her character. Um. <laughs> All right, so so there we go. So we'll, we'll put the Twitter poll out. Go, go on our Twitter and, and vote on whether uh, Reva should be counted as a Jedi. Remember, if you you say she is, then Kirk wins. If you say she's not, uh, I win. Uh, and then it would be my first ever win in one of these. Kirk always wins by a point or two. So, okay. So, setting this aside, Kirk, uh, general thought, scale of one to ten, where does Kenobi sit on the, the pantheon of like, Disney series? Eight and a half. Yeah. I mean, I was incredibly impressed with Kenobi. It's a diff It was a difficult property for them to potentially run with. It had baggage. It had things with it. You know, you've got to deal with Anakin and the sort of the half the fans love him, half the fans hate him. Um, you know, as Hayden Christensen, sort of the things like that. This was so well done. Yeah, it, it was, really was. It was. It was coherent. It was a cool story. It was well plot laid out. It had a lot of attention to detail to make sure that it fit in coherently with what we already know, which is way harder now than it was with the prequels. Because mm -hmm. with the prequels, you ended 18 years before episode four, and there was a lot of time in there to just kind of hand wave away, oh, a bunch of stuff happened. The droids had their memories wiped. That's why 3PO says his first job was programming 
whatever, binary, binary load, load lifters. lifters. <laughs> yeah, so you don't have that now. We have a lot more. First of all, you have the prequels, which box you in on the other side. And we have Rebels, the Bad Batch. We have a lot of uh, Rogue One, Solo. We have a lot more content that fills in the holes in this time period. So you've got to write this story. You're going to make it, I didn't think they're going to go here at all, but you're going to make it about Luke and Leia, which is really dangerous to go that route. Yeah, but uh, it's really about Leia. It is. And then and to make it to use kids, also very dangerous after the backlash mm-hmm. to episode one. So uh, they really, I think, took some narrative risks telling this story the way that they did. And I, I agree with you. I think they largely pulled it off. Yeah, I mean, my thing with this was I thought they really pulled off a very compelling, interesting story that both simultaneously filled in the mythos and didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, they really didn't explain much. But they obviously gave you the ability to say this is where certain things came from. The helmet obviously being sort of the thing with it. The one thing I commented, I haven't even told you this yet, but I said one of the things that to me I loved about the helmet is they have now tied both Anakin's actors together. Yes. That was something that has always bothered me. At the end of episode three... Uh, you know, because David Prowse played Darth Vader in the original, and yeah. he's like, like you know, eight feet tall. And Hayden Christensen, you know, no offense, Hayden, but you're not. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I you see Hayden Christensen's character going into the suit, but when Darth Vader stands up and it's James Earl Jones, I just the, the visual connection was never mm-hmm. there for me. And even in like the third episode of this, when you finally see Vader, they really wanted you to connect the appearance of Anakin as portrayed by Christensen with the suit. Yep. And I didn't really think this series had really done it until that last duel where where Obi-Wan hits the helmet and you see Christensen through the face and the voice modulation yeah. switching back and forth. And I was like, this is it. Like, this is the blending of the two personalities into one. And that's the exact moment when Vader tells us, no, it's not. Anakin's dead. Yeah, the thing that I liked about it is, it, it to me, it was actually, and it's, I forget, I'm totally afraid I forget the actor's name, the actor who plays Vader with his helmet off in Return of the Jedi, that originally was the Force Ghost flashback yeah. that was then edited out yep. and replaced with Anakin. I have the one thing I will give the Ken- Kenobi credit with that is the one special edition change that now makes sense. It makes it more sense. It made Hayden Christensen. Sebastian Shaw, Shaw, that's what Shaw, it was. that's it. Um, it now makes Hayden Christensen appearing in that scene instead of Sebastian Shaw as the the you know, dead Vader, the Force Ghost Vader, now makes sense because the idea that Anakin was the good guy, Anakin was Hayden Christensen. After that point in time, he was Vader. What we saw in the suit was still Vader. But what I liked about it is when you see him with the partially broken mask, you see Shaw. You can see the makeup people did a great job of making them look similar. Yeah. With the idea of the appearance, the sort of, you know, like, wasted away appearance. Even though technically probably shouldn't be that wasted away yet because it's yeah. not that old. But to me, that was the great thing about it was to actually see the idea that, no, this is, you know, this is now, you know, Vader as Vader is. Yeah, and that, that's a good point because I, I had really disliked that change to Return of the Yeah, Jedi. a lot of people did. I really didn't like it. Um, it just it felt unnecessary and pointless, but... If Anakin is truly, in, in the mythos of, of the universe, dead as of that point, then it should look more like Christensen than yeah. like than Sebastian Shaw's character. You know, I guess you could argue that, but then he turns back into Anakin, because uh, at the end, his last words to Luke, because you were right, you know, yeah. he, was, he was redeemed. He becomes Anakin again before he dies, so you really go either way with that. We're, we're really nitpicking this to death, but um, it, it at least makes it a more justifiable narrative choice, I think, as opposed to just pointlessly trying to shoehorn the prequels <laughs> back into the original series. Yeah. Which is what it really felt like, sort of, originally, but yeah. 
and and I love the way they did it because I did like the Smash Mask, and obviously the the relationship between the Smash Mask we see there and the Smash Mask in Empire Strikes Back in yep. the cave. Um, you know, it was one of those things where and to then see, Kylo Ren later, generation later, yeah, smashes his mask smashes and his puts mask. it back together. And um, but the, particularly the fact that they basically cut the mask exactly the same as it was in Return of the Jedi when yeah. it explodes. Sorry, Empire Strikes Back when it explodes, um, and you see Luke's face. In addition to the fact that during that time we see is when Luke is being chased by the Inquisitor. Mm-hmm. Um, it, that was one of those scenes where I'm like, I don't know how much of that was purposefully intentional, but some of it was. All of it could have been. Regardless, the the you know packaging of that particular segment is so well done in the mythos. It's it's going to stand as purposeful, even yeah. if it wasn't. Well, and there, there's a lighting choice that I think is purposeful, where they've yeah. got the blue and the red lightsabers are both flickering on his face. And I, I'll go back and watch it again, but I'm pretty sure when he finally says, like, no, you didn't kill Anakin, I did, mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure they, the blue lightsaber turns off, or they just get rid of the blue light. Yeah, no, but, Obi-Wan turns it off because he starts walking away. Yeah, I, I think that timing is purposeful. Yeah, in, in addition, you actually then see him as... I haven't, because of, you know, I was going back and looking at the scene and trying to watch the flashback, which is right after that, to him looking at Leia... Um, when you see Anakin watching him go away, you actually see the red light on his face from his saber because his saber yeah. is still ignited, and it is actually he's using it in some respects to help pull himself along when he's so badly injured. Um, I think that um, there's not any question that was purposeful. That was the yeah. idea of, of lighting. That and that's the one thing I have to call out with this. And you know, the, the woman who did the music for this is channeling John Williams. Like she did an amazing job. With the music of this, it's the music is evocative, it's subtle, but like you catch it, you know, in a way. And to me, it's it's exactly what made John Williams John Williams, and yeah. like why he was so great at doing this. She has completely captured that in Kenobi, and quite frankly, I'm hoping to keep her and having yeah. to do more stuff with this because that it's just so good. <laughs> it also was, a, it was it was nice to see Alderaan finally. Like yeah. we haven't really gotten to see it. I think a little bit in the animation, but we never really yeah. seen it in, in live action. That was neat. Getting to see Jimmy Smith was neat, and getting to see a little bit of a tension with Leia, kind of knowing she knows that they're not really her parents. I think. Yeah, she clearly knows she's adopted. Yeah. Um, but she doesn't, I think, you know, she knows nothing about her parents and her parents obviously Because she asked Obi-Wan at some point, are you my real father? And he's yeah. like, no, but I knew him. Well, in that speech at the end where he tells her, like, I didn't know your parents. You get this from yeah. your father, this from your mother. Uh, that was really well done. Yeah. And I'll, I'll tell you what, we talked before the uh, the Rise of Skywalker. And one of our predictions was, are they going to do anything narratively in the movie that makes us change the way we feel about the prequels or change how we interpret the prequels that somehow redeems them? This series really made me like the prequels better. I've not gone back and yeah. watched them. I don't think objectively they are any better. But just the opening montage of prequel sequences they showed, I was like, boy, if they had done that right, it really would have been good. Because like, yeah, the, the story that they tell in that, that little sequence, that little montage, I'm like, I kind of want to go watch them again now. Yeah, they did some great jobs, I think, in, in doing some redemption of the prequels in this. One of the comments I had with it, and, and I mentioned this to Ben, one of the things that I thought was very intriguing is the fact that Obi-Wan won't strike down Vader again. Yeah. Even after, you know, you have, I mean, you have Anakin make the statement, Anakin is dead. Yeah. You know, I, it, you know, I am Vader, you know, I have killed him. You still have him do the, you know, like... Then Anakin is truly dead and walks away, which is exactly the scene out of Jedi. Yeah, Jedi. Luke says yeah, that my father, my father is, is truly dead. But we know Luke doesn't believe it because yeah. he doesn't stop trying to redeem him. So maybe Obi Wan doesn't believe it either. Same idea, but he obviously does, fails to strike down 
Yes, yeah. Vader. Though obviously he could have, and for a while it looked like he was going to. And I'm like, how are they going to get themselves yeah. out of this? Um, you know, that was the the thing I had with it. But one of the questions I had from it, and I said, is I said, if we go, if we start at New Hope, and we go forward, have there has there been any Jedi who has actually actively struck down another character with their lightsaber? And the comment with it is, I'm not sure Luke Like a major character. Did, a major like, character. Luke, Luke, Luke hits a lot of people with his lightsaber during, like, <laughs> yeah. fight scenes and stuff. Like a <laughs> you know, a lot of sort of hitting stormtroopers and sort of things like that, you know, with it. The only one we could think of was, um, <coughs> the closest we got was Kylo Ren uses, I think it's him, uses his yes. saber to kill um, Snoke. Snoke in episode 8. At the same time, Kylo Ren's a Sith, presumably. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and in some sense that's completely fitting because he's striking down the Master, which is sort of what's supposed to happen. The, the thing that I had with it is the concept of... The Jedi are not are supposed to be better than that, and kind of where I really got from it is again, the the conversation between Reva and Obi Wan at the end with the you know I couldn't do it you know am I and, and the line with it is and I think it's Reva's line with the am I going to become him mm-hmm. and I think that's what she says it I don't think she says am I going to become Vader I think she says am I going to become him um, you know with it and he says no and now it's your choice. Of, and after seeing her whole conflict and the way they did that lovely flashback sort of of her and everything like that and the conflict of can she strike down Luke? Can she actually strike out against this? But the idea of somehow showing mercy is like the ultimate of being a Jedi to the fact yeah. that he can even turn a Sith. Like that's what can, you know, mercy is what can turn a Sith back into a Jedi and sort of stuff like that. Just kind of some echoes of Lord of the Rings there. Like there's that final line, uh, there's a line Gandalf says to, to Frodo at some point where he says the fate of, the, the mercy of Bilbo Baggins may rule the fate of the world, which winds up being true. Bilbo does yeah. not kill Gollum and it takes Gollum to finally destroy the ring, however inadvertently. Yeah. And so you, you kind of get those kind of things with it. I really wonder about it is after Portos New Hope, have we, did, people, did the writers go and look and realize that really... The Jedi don't purposely strike down people with their lightsabers. They do it in battle scenes and sort of things but like the that. The prequels are mostly fighting droids. Yep, but there's one very important scene with a, a, a Jedi striking down a major character, which is Mace Windu striking down Jango Fett. Yeah. And the comment I made with it is I said, do we now reinterpret that scene as showing part of the corruption of the Jedi Temple? Yeah. That we, we, the Jedi had fallen. Because now we're in the, the, clo- the start of the Clone Wars. They're not becoming the generals. They're becoming warriors. Do we actually have that being the idea that the Jedi no longer are what they are supposed to represent? And particularly if we then tie that into the scene where Anakin becomes Vader. He becomes Vader because he kills Mace Windu to stop Mace Windu from killing Palpatine. Mm-hmm. Do we have that idea that now, in some sense, Mace Windu, the most the strongest of all Jedi, was failing, mm-hmm. and now complete post hoc rationalization is that why his blade is purple? Interesting. So, are there any other purple blades? I guess there's. No. I can't think of any. And my understanding is the reason why his blade is purple is solely solely so the fact that his son could see him in the large Jedi scene. Yeah, I remember Samuel L. Jackson said he just wanted a purple lightsaber, yeah. and they're like, "Yeah, okay, fine," <laughs> and things like that. But so again, it's because this is unique. But can we now rationalize that of the yeah. idea that yellow, green, blue are true Jedi? Purple is now not something else. We also yeah. have the concept that Ahsoka is, is white; is she's not a Jedi, which was the other thing my son caught when I went back and watched New Hope. In the special edition, I don't know which version of special edition this is, when Luke is handed Anakin's lightsaber and turns it on and is looking at it, the blade's white. 
I'm going to assume that it was just a problem with the rotoscope they used to put the... It's not. Blade. Special edition. They re-edited it over. All right. I'll have to go back and look at that, because I know there's a couple sequences where the rotoscope didn't work, and they did not fix it. Yeah. Um, but it's one of those where I wondered, in conjunction with it, is... I mean, it's still got a bluish tinge to it. Yeah. Knows, but is the idea being that they're trying to use these concepts of lightsabers even more? They obviously could have f- further edited. We know they further yeah. edited the special edition. And we know they've the fiddled with the idea that the colors mean something. We've got that yep. in the anime series, which, by the way, we should mention, they're doing a whole second round of the anime series. Did you see that? <laughs> no, I didn't see No, that. there's a whole new, uh, what was it called? Vision, Star Wars Visions, yeah. doing a whole second series of them. Well, those are cool, so yeah. that'd be cool to see. Um, but yeah, it's. I really kind of wonder if there's a little bit of post hoc reasoning. And again, the idea of the purple lightsaber suddenly being, well, purple's closer to red than green and blue are. Yeah. Do we actually have, and again, the way I looked at it is said sort of from redeeming the prequels, has one of the things we've done in the prequels is actually made the idea that the Jedi were already falling earlier in the prequels. Well, you and I have talked before, one of the parts of the prequels that just never made a whole lot of sense of the prophecy. Yeah. Uh, we have the prophecy that somebody's going to bring balance to the Force. I think you and I would both think, <laughs> okay, well, that means that it's about equally balanced on both the Sides, dark and yeah. the light side. But then the Jedi are all well aware that there's only ever two Sith, and there's a whole room full of Jedi. <laughs> so if you balance it out, Old it temple. means you either need more Sith or less Jedi. So I don't know why they're so eager to bring this prophecy to light. It never made any sense to me, and I've yet to hear a coherent explanation of it. Yeah, and that's and and again, those are the kind of things where I think it's these are the stuff we're asserting now potentially is shown by the prequels was clearly not intended by the no, prequels no. in the same way that you know <laughs> you know Alec Guinness did not know that he you know, who Luke Skywalker actually was in his relationship with Darth Vader when he delivers those lines no, neither did George Lucas at the it time sure, it sure looks like <laughs> it he does. did yeah. um, you know that kind of thing so it's it, it, again I, I put that into really good writing in Kenobi and I think it you have to look at it and say Kenobi's the only thing that can give it that effect it was very good writing and people that were really probably spent some time watching these scenes yeah there's a lot of detail you know and the and that's your comments of the idea of you know they 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 put in small details that really made this part work yeah and that's it's the one thing we hadn't seen a lot of quite frankly in star wars we'd sort of seen in the mandalorian it was starting to really happen in the mandalorian and it did happen a bit in clone wars too and in in sort of in rebels in the end but that got a bit too mystical at the end um but I, I really kind of wonder if part of this is you've just got real fans that know these things just inside and out. They know the mythos inside and out writing this to the point where they can post hoc justify things. Yeah. Um, let's go the other way. Anything that you, you thought was... What were the weak points of this series? There's a couple spots where I thought it dragged on a little bit. Um, and there's there's some fan service. I thought I, I liked seeing the Emperor and Qui-Gon at the end. Definitely did not feel that it was necessary. It felt... The way they did it, it felt kind of tacked on. Like, all right, we haven't really done anything like that yet. So let's let's throw a couple more cameos in of, of Ian yeah. McDiarmid and, and uh, uh, Liam Neeson. The fans will like that, and they're right, I did. Yeah. Uh, but it did feel a little a little hackneyed. Uh, Everything after Reva comes back with Luke actually feels a bit like a tack on yeah. as to what it was. Um, I wasn't sure why we needed Lola. To be quite truthful, I, I get the point of the idea of sort of the... I, so I'm given to understand friend. that is a Carrie Fisher homage. There's some photo of her with yeah. a bird or a pet or something when she was young, and they put Lola in as sort of an homage to, to Yeah, Carrie and the same Fisher. with the holster is my understanding. That's a sort of similar type of thing yeah. in conjunction the with Lola, The Lola character is used uh, to, to track Leia down at some point, yeah. but there's other ways to address that. The so. thing that I had with it is it, it sort of felt a bit like a trying to use a droid as a comedic relief and needing yeah. to have a droid, because there's no other droids that really appear yeah, in it. That's true. 
Um, that was my one complaint with it. it to that, me, that felt a bit tacked on. At the same time, it, it enhanced Leia's childlike qualities. Yeah. Um, which I think you know made some sense. I thought we had a. It bit, also gave her someone to talk to when she needed to narrate by herself. Yes. Um, I thought we did a bit. Too, there were there was one hanging thing that bothered me, which is Bail Organa was supposed to be on his way to Tatooine when the Inquisitor actually arrived because that's. When Reva sees the message, it's the message to Obi-Wan yeah, that so Bale is headed to go, Tatooine. Yeah. I completely expected Bale to be there and interrupt the Inquisitor. That was where they were going. Yeah. But we have no indication Bale ever made it to Tatooine. And I was yeah. kind of like, wait a minute, why do we have... That message is important, but why is the message something that itself doesn't happen? That one bothered me. And I think that's the only thing that I saw sort of an inconsistency that bothered me. I did not like the idea of sort of striking down the Grand Inquisitor and having him come back. Yeah, that, that also... I. I I haven't watched Rebels, so I understand that people who saw that have seen Rebels expected him to be back. Yeah. Uh, and then knew he wasn't really dead. I didn't know that. So when he came back, I was like, oh, that guy lived. And the only explanation we get is, I don't want to die. Like, yeah, revenge is a, is a good uh, motivation. Yeah, which like, is the right, yeah, motivation, too. You know, but you know, uh, normally, normally when they do something like that, they at least make an effort to head fake you. Like, you know, when Vader hits her in the shoulder, that's the universal sign of this character is not dead. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's those kind of things that I had with it. So my, my, my critiques of it, I think, that were negative, for the most part, are fairly small. Mine are, too. There are um, things that would bother me if it wasn't otherwise well done. Yeah. But since the good stuff is really good I'm, I'm more willing to overlook those flaws yeah. oh i also the fake jedi guy on the first planet yes <laughs> i actually liked him a lot i was so glad they brought that character back and made him kind of a more nuanced uh character who's he's, he's kind of a shyster but he's also not totally bad you know what yeah. i mean yeah, they did a good job in conjunction with him and to what it is. I also like the fact that he clearly looks fake. Like, when they do yeah. it, you know, and you see him, like, zoom the thing across him. It's like, that doesn't look right. And, again, it gives some credit to the special effects people for making the special effects in some cases look natural and some cases look like special yeah. effects. It's like, okay, that's actually kind of cool. And then also, I like the, the alien on the planet they go to uh, after they escape who puts them in the back of, like, a truck. Uh, yeah. He's talking about how, oh, the Empire's imposed some law and order and kind of put things back right and... Um, you know, trying to explain how people are rationalizing the Empire away. It's it was not, a very not Mandalorian scene, yeah. actually. It was very much the, the Mandalorian scene with the idea of, you know, hey, you know, these guys are... I gotta live with these guys, you know? Yeah. And, and some of that stuff you got from the Mandalorian with it, you know? The and the Bad Batch, too. You see people yeah. in these planets like, all right, they're here now, nothing I can do about it. How do we make the best out of this? And, you know... Yeah. Um, and that's... And again, those are the kind of things I think they just did very well in conjunction with it. They did even a little bit of humanizing the Empire when you have the stormtroopers just sort of chatting about their yeah. work assignments, you know, and, and stuff like that. The idea, no, this is all, these are all people and things like that. And you kind of get into that point of, the, you know, like, how many innocent people did we kill when we blew up the Death Star? Um, you know? Yeah. And, and there yeah. was the, the female officer they introduced who was an undercover agent for the yeah. Rebellion. Uh, I liked her character. I was really hoping, I forget her name now, mm-hmm. I was hoping that she would survive and maybe be like part of a little maybe Kenobi romance, a kind of... Uh, takes yeah. place after the fact, oh. but of course it's Star Wars, so no. <laughs> and let's face it, Kenobi has a brother? Yeah. Well, we find out Kenobi has a brother we've never heard of. <laughs> yeah, like, hold on. <laughs> like, you know. Paul Kenobi. Yeah. <laughs> Paul Kenobi. <laughs> Everybody knows him. <laughs> Obi was Kenobi. Uh. I was kind of hoping to throw in a line, too, like, where some, like, because at the end, you know, Skywalker, there's still a Luke Skywalker going by the name Luke Skywalker on Tatooine, and so we're going to investigate that not at all, and... You know, Vader, I think he knows Kenobi's on Tatooine by the end. Does he know that or not? He doesn't seem to know it. No, he, he says, he says I'm, yeah. not, I'm searching, we'll find him, he won't escape us. And the Emperor's like, you're, you're not doing it. And then he does the... I guess Reva's the only one who knows, and presumably she's going to keep her mouth shut. So. Yeah. 
Well, and that's uh, the big thing I had coming out of the show is, you know, sort of future intentions with it. First thing I had in conjunction with it is, can we have another show with young Leah? Like, she yes. was just so cool. I don't know where they found that actress, but she... She is Leah. I was prepared to be annoyed by her, and I was like, no, this this is the second... This is a reincarnation of young Carrie Fisher. Yeah, she is, she is so channeling Carrie Fisher, it's not even She even funny. looks like her a little bit, her yeah. mannerisms. Well, and that's why I said, like, there's a scene in it when you see her spin, and she actually has the curl yeah. on it, and she's wearing a green outfit. And when I saw it the first time, when it flashed past, I actually thought it was the scene from Return of the Jedi where Leia is shot. That was what we were seeing, was him seeing these flashbacks, yeah. and they threw in a few Jedi ones in addition to what was happening with Leia and Luke at I the thought time. both were well cast. The little boy uh, resembled yeah. like a young Mark Hamill. It was convincing enough, yeah. you know. But particularly when it did it, is watching it, when I went back and slow-moed through the entire scene and saw it was only young Leia scenes, and it was pretty much all stuff from this show. But when I saw that scene, I'm like, she just looks like Leia in Return of the Jedi. Yeah, like the, you know the costume choicing, the hair, the, the way they did her hair, and just her, and her mannerisms are so Carrie Fisher. And the one thing I think was great about it, and I, and I do this sort of with it, you know, say whatever you like about Ray. I think the vast majority of people would say the best woman character in Star Wars generally is Princess Leia. Oh like, yeah, everybody yeah. loves Princess Leia. She's in Episode Four. She is so uh, I don't know. She's just imperialistic. She's demanding and entitled, a little bit bratty. Even while she's a prisoner of yeah. Vader, she's still kind of a brat about it. <laughs> well, and that's the thing is that you really get the what I liked about her is she's fearless. She's, she's fearless. utterly fearless. Yeah. yeah, and and she's fearless all the way through it. And you get so many of the tropes of the people who are like, you know, why do people dress up as Leia in the slave costume? You know, you know, why do they see that as sort of you know being you know like something that you know little. Should aspire to, and I always loved the comment by whoever it was that responded back and goes, Wait a minute, because she was forced to wear it by some imperialistic person who literally owned her as a slave, and the result of what she did was choke them with her yeah. own chains. She was literally enslaved by a male <laughs> slug, and she, yeah, she killed them with, with, her, with her own chains. Like, how can you not look at this yeah. as being inspiring? Like, okay, this is a good thing. Uh, and that's, to me, that was always Carrie Fisher. You know, that was the Carrie Fisher's Leia was always great, and what was great about it is when they did the sequels, you know, and they had the, the older Carrie Fisher in it, she takes that role of kind of being the sort of impulsive, strong-willed person yeah. and turns it into what I would call the classic older general. Yeah. She, 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 those personality traits mature. Yeah. It's tinged a little bit with, with maternalism uh, and with age, and you see that she's, you know... Uh, it's a natural progression of the character that that really works pretty well, and it's it's a shame that we lost her when we did. Yeah. It would have been great to have her for that yeah. last one. I wonder how much better that third movie would have been in the sequels if uh, if Carrie Fisher been able to be in. Yeah, around. and yeah. so and I think, and it's and I really have to give the the girl who played you know Leia in this like she's she is young Leia like without any question she is young Leia. Um, and and you know somebody did a great job in casting there. Her name is Vivian Blair. Vivian Blair. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, she looks just like her. And she also, she also behaves just like her, and that's yeah. what I loved about it. And you got to wonder, like, is she a fan of Princess Leia? Is that the reason she was interested in this role and stuff like that? Is because she is a fan of Princess Leia. The big thing I really want to call out in Kenobi, and and this is just sort of my background. But you guys who know, I, I did theater tech for years. I was a sound designer. I was a light designer in conjunction with it. The backstage people at Kenobi did an utterly incredible job with this. Like, you know, there's all the, the people who are, you know, not going to appear in the credits that anybody watched unless you were looking for a cutscene. Um, that just did incredible. The music in this is incredible. The costuming and the way they did the costume choices is great. Prop it, the props and a lot of the uses of props are great. Like the T-14 and sort of stuff like that. You know, with it just... It's one of those things where there's so much, like, the subtle stuff that... 
you never see go right or wrong in it went so right in this movie. Mm-hmm. You know, the lighting is well done. You know, like, everything just went really right in this from a technical background point of view that had nothing to do with acting. Yeah. And made these subtle pieces that you don't even necessarily notice right away just work. Yeah. And that was one of the things that really impressed me. And the again, timeline was smoother and less choppy than what we've seen in The Mandalorian, where we know time is passing, but it's hard to gauge how much. Yeah. So I, although I, I'm swept up in the story there, I'm still kind of a little lost temporally as far as, how, like, so how long has he been here? What's going on? And it feels like sometimes weeks pass uh, during a, you know, a cut scene or, or a, a, a wipe transition. Uh, this one felt a little more uh, structured, like, like yeah. pretty consistent from episode to episode. Very well written. I think, you know, for lack of a better term, Disney is clearly learning, and I think the people they've got working on these, these, the, the, the big thing for it is, Star Wars is clearly a much better TV show than it ever was movies. Yeah. Um, Although I didn't hear an argument that the Boba Fett series probably should have just been a movie. The, 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 yes. Yeah. C- cut out a lot of the cruft there and, and the extra bloat to take out the Mandalorian pieces and just make it a movie. Yeah, you could have made it a movie as to what it was, but it's, Kenobi really showed how this worked well as a serial um, it, it introduced new potential, you know, Trax Reeves' story, you know, being one of them, Obi-Wan's brother's story, you know, being, yeah. being one of them. Paul. It'll be, it'll be, <laughs> Paul. <laughs> it'll be interesting to see where these kind of things go. As again, I was really kind of stunned we never saw Ahsoka. I was completely expecting to sort of see Ahsoka. Because we know they've got an actress lined up yeah. to play her, and you know she's around at this time, <laughs> so that what seems like a missed opportunity, um, but maybe she's busy doing yeah. that one. And so, you know, that kind of thing. I even thought, like, the, the idea with Qui-Gon sort of saying to Ben, hey, you, you know, of course, I was, I've been here the whole time. You just weren't ready to see me. And yeah. sort of the idea of like, okay, there's a lot of preparation sort of things Oh, here. and we have to acknowledge the, the Jawa from the very first episode that's like oh, yes. bringing him stuff, stealing his stuff, and selling it back to him. <laughs> I, t- I literally used that line on my son the other day when he, he was trying to get me to do something in his store. And I'm like, you're a Jawa. You're stealing my stuff and telling me I have to buy it from you. <laughs> like, can you at least clean it first? <laughs> well, you know, we see Obi-Wan's been living in a cave. All- I, I, I like the beginning part where he's he's like working as like a meat packer, basically. Yeah. And, and just like, like, I mean, he's resigned himself. He's not using the force. He has to kind of rediscover that muscle. And so we have, you know, a lot of the series is him kind of go, coming back to the force, which echoes the journey Luke makes later in episode eight. So there's, there's a lot of really just subtle things they did to tie all these different three trilogies together yeah. thematically in this one six-episode yeah. arc. And even, like you said, a lot of the dialogue between, you know, Obi-Wan and Vader matching the dialogue between Luke and Vader from Return of the Jedi... Um, one of the ones I thought was really intriguing is the very end with, with you know, um, Owen doing the want to meet him. Yeah. You know, and the idea of that this is the, Luke's first introduction to Ben Kenobi. Yep. And that that's how he knows him, you know, is as this, that's the eccentric old guy, you know, yeah. that sort of lives you out there. You can see why Luke would think of him as old Ben, setting aside the fact that Alec Guinness is like in his 70s when, yeah. they, when they filmed that. Uh, from Luke's perspective as a little kid seeing an old old bearded guy, yeah, he's always going to seem like an old man. Yeah, and, and, you know, those kind of things I think just worked really, really well. Again, to the subtleties of, like, the fact that Darth Vader has the same appearance when this, the helmet comes off that we're used to. Yep. You, you, one of the comments you made, and I think it was a good one, the way Vader's speech slows yeah. during the course of it, um, and the sort of intermixing of Hayden's speech and, and James Earl Jones, you know, sort of with it. And That's one of the juxtapositions always jumped out to me, is the, the, the cadence and the tempo of Christensen's speech in the prequels. He's brash, he's ambitious, he's excitable, yeah. uh, he rushes off and does things without thinking, and he talks fast. Uh, you and I, you know, we, we, we know our own, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, but Vader is very slow and deliberate, and that's what makes him threatening. But he also has the impulsiveness and the, and the temper. Uh, but you, you rarely see Vader, like, like, raise his voice and get, like, emotional. 
Yeah. Um, a little bit at the beginning of episode four, but otherwise not a ton of that. Well, and they did a good job with that with the very tie in at the end of row one, yeah. where you get him to be much more impulsive when he's going after the Tan T4, yep. but then the idea that now he has it, no, he's more. Yeah, people always describe him as he's the pit bull on a leash. You know, yep. that's the idea behind. He really is in episode four. He's the, he's the pit bull on the leash. You know, the emperor's calling the shots. And even you get the, the generals are a bit disrespectful of him. Yeah. You know, because he's not a general. And you kind of get a little bit where that comes from. He's he's a bit of just an enforcer. Yeah, he's, he's, and he's kind of a relic in their minds. I mean, the emperor yeah. has successfully exterminated the Jedi. Yeah. Uh, and so as far as they're concerned, like, we've got this one random guy still hanging around. And uh, he's kind of annoying. He's always talking about his religion. And, you know, you can see yeah. why they're like, no, screw no, that. The hell with that. We've well, got, we've got and he's this a awesome strange guy in this big imposing suit, too, which, quite frankly, yeah. if it wasn't scary, it would be dumb. They're all sitting there. I mean, in episode four, got to put yourself in their shoes. They're sitting around a conference room table having a meeting, and a guy in a suit is hanging around talking about his religion. And they're like, oh, here we go again with this. You know, yeah. you knock it. Just stop yeah. with that. We, we, we have command a battle station yeah. that's the size of a small yeah. moon. Like, in their mind, the, em- the emperor has transitioned from this quasi-religious theocratic uh, Republic that was corrupt and broken and causing all these problems with these Jedi. Well, they're all gone, and now we have a proper, you know, it's basically a, a military government. Uh, and so we don't. Why does the Emperor keep this guy laying around? So you can see why they're kind of dismissive. Um, and yeah. then, when, and then when the Death Star blows up, there's a power vacuum, and he has to kind of step up. Yeah, and that's and again, I think it's you really do. They just did a great job in this show of tying stuff together. And I have to admit, having seen this, I'm now like really anticipating the next ones. I'm starting to anticipate even more Ahsoka and the idea of just, where can we go? Like, they did such a good job with this. Where can they go and what's it going to do? And and I'm going to have to, I'm going to put a plug in here as well. What's been so interesting about this is while we started watching this, my daughter, because it's her favorite superhero, we have started watching Ms. Marvel. Mm-hmm. Ms. Marvel's doing this in the Marvel Universe too. Mm-hmm. And and I have been. If you guys aren't watching it yet, if you have any interest at all, you have no interest in the Marvel universe. Ms. Marvel might be the best thing I've seen in the Marvel universe. I yet. Haven't seen it yet. Um, and and part of the reason for it is is because there's a, for lack of a better term, casualness with the universe simply exists this way, and that's the way it's kind of set up in Ms. Marvel. You know, it's yes, the you know, these superheroes saved the world. That kind of stuff happens every so often. Moving on, yeah. you know, it, and it's like, wait, that's kind of cool. Like that, that's just accepted, <laughs> you know. And everybody is living their lives around it, which is not something you ever really saw in the Marvel universe. You know, even in the comic books, it was always the fact that it was the superhero stories. And in some sense, Miss Marvel is not a superhero story. Yes, it is, but it's the, the story of all the people around her, mm-hmm. um, and they're just living normal lives. And what does that then mean when you have a superhero in your midst? Yeah. Um, and I really appreciated that. I thought it was something. It's something where I kind of wonder how much of this is Disney just now finding its stride, and quite yeah. frankly, having enough money that they can do anything the hell they want. And that knowing it's going to be successful, yep. is that what this is doing? So where do we put Kenobi in the final analysis? Is it above or below Mandalorian? Right now, I think I have to say it's above Mandalorian. Yeah. And the reason I'm saying it's above Mandalorian is because Mandalorian's got to keep going. Yeah. You know, if Mandalorian was just the first season kind of ended, they may be more equal, but Mandalorian has to keep going. Kenobi doesn't have to. 
it gets to be a standalone. Yeah. And so I think it's above it. I mean, as weird as that sounds. Yeah. I uh, I'd seen a rumor that they're going to do a Kenobi season two because we you and I had talked about what are they going to do with Kenobi? Like like the characters on Todd and Wayne. What, what adventure is he going to have? And this is not at all what I thought they were going to do with it. So yeah. uh, kudos to them for that. But yeah, I'm, I'll, I'll be interested to see if they actually do a season two. If anybody knows out there, if they if they've confirmed that or not, let us know. Um, otherwise, yeah, I, I think I'm on board. I think right now, just as a standalone series, Kenobi is probably the the best thing they've done so far on Disney Plus. Not to say it's flawless by any means, but uh, pretty darn good. Yeah. Uh, Mandalorian has, of course, its, its high points, but there is sort of an expectation to to keep moving it forward, and you know that's that's hard. That's hard. Like once it's, it's easy to make the you know, easy, it's easier to make the first season and say, okay, sigh of relief, this isn't terrible. That's really all it has to be is <laughs> not terrible, yeah. and people will be satisfied with it. But now you've set the bar, and it's really hard to keep uh, keep outdoing yeah. yourself. Wasn't that a comment with when they made Lord of the Rings? Of the whole idea is it's don't screw it up. Yeah. You know, it's you know, it doesn't have to be a good movie. Just don't screw it up. Yeah, <laughs> you know, that was the rule here too. <laughs> okay, so uh, that's all for Kenobi. Uh, we've got more content. List uh, we're gonna work on. I've got a whole sheet I'm looking at on the wall here of stuff we're gonna talk about. Um, so we will be getting to that in due course over the the uh, remainder of the year. Like uh, we said earlier, we're trying to get one episode out uh, per month. That has not happened consistently, but. Uh, we are going to try and uh, average that by year end and uh, and keep this rolling. And this is a nice long episode of us talking about nothing but Star Wars for those of you fans who like this and those of you that hate it. Yes, if, <laughs> if you hate it, well, if you hate it, then you probably stop listening three seconds in. So you're not still here. So, but for the rest of you, thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by Lewis Rice LLC, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. This podcast was produced and recorded in St. Louis, Missouri. 